We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Secretary Blinken demands Russia release two American prisoners. He wants to get them back, and that's why Evan uh, was detained. Donations to Donald Trump's campaign surpass $4 million after his indictment announcement. He's already raised considerable amounts of money from this news of this indictment. OPEC announces major production cuts. Tensions between the Saudis and the Biden administration are really probably going to ratchet up higher. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Monday, April 3rd. I'm Mike Scott. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken called for Russia to free the detained American journalist Evan Gershkovich of the Wall Street Journal in a rare phone call with his Moscow counterpart since the start of the war in Ukraine. Wall Street Journal reporter and American citizen Evan Gershkovich has been arrested on spying charges by Russia's security service. The Kremlin says he had a secret court appearance and now will be held in detention through at least the end of May. Officials within the Russian intelligence service claiming that Gershkovich was, quote, collecting information constituting a state secret about the activities of one of the enterprises of the Russian military industrial complex. Hours later, Vladimir Putin's spokesman telling reporters that Gershkovich was caught red-handed, but adding minutes later he didn't know the details surrounding the alleged material collection. The Wall Street Journal releasing a statement saying that the company vehemently denies the allegations from the FSB and seeks the immediate release of our trusted and dedicated reporter, Evan Gershkovich. We stand in solidarity with Evan and his family. However, America's request was rejected by Sergei Lavrov, who says the U.S. must not make a fuss over the plight of the detained journalist. John Kirby, the National Security Council spokesman, says that, unfortunately, they were unable to speak directly with Gershkovich in order to ascertain his well-being. We have not uh, been able to achieve consular access. Nobody from our embassy um, has been able to meet with him. We are continuing to work on that, of course, uh, and will until we can get that uh, consular access to ascertain for ourselves how how he's doing uh, and make sure that uh, that we have that uh, connection. But no, we haven't uh, haven't been able to gain access to him at this time. Gershkovich, 31, was detained by Russia, who accused him of collecting classified information. According to the Wall Street Journal, prior to his arrest, Gershkovich was reportedly working on a story about Wagner, the notionally private military group run by the businessman Yevgeny Prigozhin, which has done much of the fighting in Ukraine. In the past, Russia has traded Americans for its own citizens held in the United States. Last year, Russian authorities traded WNBA player Brittany Griner and swapped her in exchange for Victor Boot, an arms dealer. 
Rebecca Kofler, author of Putin's Playbook and former U.S. intelligence specialist, joins the Daybreak Insider podcast and says that the taking of hostages is part of Putin's strategy. Uh, this is classic uh, Putin's playbook, uh, hostage uh, diplomacy. So the Russians have been doing it for years. Uh, why? It's because we have taught them that it works. Every single time they grab an American, uh, they've been able to exchange that American for a high-value asset for them. Uh, one of the last exchanges, if you remember, was uh, Brittany Griner, um, who is you know, pretty much, you know, a celebrity and uh, an athlete, but they got back the so-called merchant of death, who's a convicted arms dealer, uh, Victor Boot, uh, who conspired to kill Americans, and Putin wanted to get him back, and Boot is very helpful right now when it comes to Ukraine, now that uh, Russia is uh, depleting its combat arsenal and they have to rely on other countries such as Iran, you know, for drones and uh, artillery from North Korea. So Victor Boot is um, uh, an expert in clandestine networks and moving on. Kofler explains that she believes Putin took Gerskovich hostage so he could initiate a prisoner swap for a professional assassin. This is exactly why they grabbed uh, Evan Gershkovich, uh, and they're claiming that he spies uh, so that they can um, sort of build the case, right? The next person they want to get out is uh, Vadim Krasikov. Vadim Krasikov is a former FSB uh, colonel. FSB is the internal security uh, service. And what Krasikov did uh, in 2019, he assassinated a a Georgian um, Chechen uh, former field commander in Germany um, in broad daylight, uh, by the way, not far from the German parliament with the uh, silencing uh, Glock 26. So this guy's a contract killer, right? Mm-hmm. Professional assassin and Putin wants to get him back. And that's why Evan uh, was detained. Taking a look at just how sanctions are impacting Russia's economy. Kofler says there is an impact, but it just won't be enough to end the war. The sanctions do have some effect on the Russian economy, right? The the, the growth uh, projections have been slashed, not by much, but, you know, regardless of whether it is this economy is contracting or not, it's not going to contract to the point where the Russians are not going to be able to continue this war. Because before the um, invasion, Putin has taken uh, several measures to sanction improve his economy. He de-dollarized uh, Russia's uh, sovereign fund in favor of the Chinese yuan, the euro, uh, and uh, gold. And so uh, now that China and Russia are in a so-called strategic um, partnership, the no-limit strategic partnership, they're actually thinking long-term about replacing the U.S. dollar with the Chinese yuan. The former DIA intelligence officer explains why Putin is so determined to continue the war in Ukraine. Ukraine is considered... um, 
a part of Russia's so-called strategic security perimeter on which it relied for centuries for its security. And so Putin wants to restore that buffer. And the, uh, and the way to restore the buffer is to have Ukraine be neutral and not part of NATO. And so he um, is fearing that if NATO absorbs Ukraine, then we will um, put our forces, put our systems into Ukraine, and that would threaten Russia. And as long as he continues this war, right, and there are all sorts of talks about how Russians are incompetent, you know, tactically, this war has been a disaster for Putin. Well, that all doesn't matter. The Russians never have been, you know, uh, have fought the war the way that Americans uh, have. And neither, nobody in the world really is as tactically brilliant, but tactical brilliance does not translate into uh, victory. And so as long as this war is going, Ukraine cannot become part of NATO because it doesn't meet the requirement of having territorial integrity and absence of an ongoing conflict. And that is why Putin is continuing this war. Kofler shares why she believes that there is a method to the Putin madness when it comes to his nuclear threats. His regime, his uh, general staff, studied the way that Americans fight wars for 20 years, and they were looking for vulnerabilities. And they found this vulnerability in our reliance on technology for every aspect of our war fighting and our reliance on technology in our daily life. Why is this important? It's important because um, the only country that could stand in the way of Putin's plans is the United States. And so uh, the Russians also have developed um, a very unique nuclear strategy called escalate to de-escalate because they believe themselves to be uh, conventionally inferior vis-a-vis the United States and NATO. And uh, if NATO... uh, is about to deploy forces. In fact, if the Russians believe that we are about to deploy forces, the United States um, uh, would put boots on the ground or uh, or NATO, they, uh, Putin would trigger the nuclear doctrine. And so we are not prepared for that. As a woman who grew up in Soviet Russia, Kofler says she's disturbed by the indictment of former President Donald Trump. I'm an immigrant myself from Soviet Russia, and it eerily reminds me, you know, uh, it's basically KGB tactics, you know, Putin's playbook. This is how Putin deals with his political opponents. You know, remember when uh, Alexei Navalny, uh, his uh, political opponent who the corruption in Putin's government, when he was trying to run against Putin, uh, Putin just locked him up in jail. And now Navalny is rotting, you know, uh, uh, the, this is standard, you know, lawfare. And I'm just terrified that I came to the country 30 years ago, you know, for freedom. Um, and all of a sudden now I see that American Bolsheviks are turning uh, my beautiful homeland, adopted homeland, effectively into USSR 2.0, whether they're going after Trump to kick him out of the um, camp 2024 campaign or whether it's lockdowns, you know, that we experienced during COVID and, and uh, we were forced to take this 
you know, vaccine, which is not the vaccine at all. It's an experimental medicine. You know, they're after conservatives. They're after religious people. They're targeting Christians. They're now trying to disarm us. Uh, all of these trends are really frightening, and they have all of the hallmarks of uh, totalitarian, you know, state. And uh, um, it, it, it's just very, very alarming to me. The Daybreak Insider Podcast would like to thank Rebecca Kofler for joining us. If you are interested in hearing more from Rebecca, follow her on Twitter at Rebecca0132. Purchase her book, Putin's Playbook, at regnery.com or amazon.com. There is grieving and hard work ahead in a handful of states left reeling after a fierce tornado outbreak last week. Daybreak Insider's Jackie Quinn has the very latest. There were dozens of tornadoes cutting a wide swath of damage throughout the Midwest and South, with 11 states affected. More than two dozen people were killed, and homes and businesses have been pulverized into splinters. Amazing to see the devastation. I had no idea that it could look this bad. Maria Wright's home was smashed up in North Little Rock, where she spoke to KATV. The mayor of Little Rock, Frank Scott Jr., says it will take months to recover. Flattening of neighborhoods, uh, flattening of uh, commercial buildings. At least four people died in the storms in Arkansas, where FEMA officials toured the damage this weekend. At least nine were killed in just one county in Tennessee. I'm Jackie Quinn. Contribution today will show the left that nothing can destroy the greatest political movement in history. After former President Donald Trump was officially indicted by a Manhattan grand jury, his campaign raised more than $4 million toward his presidential run in a 24-hour period. For former President Trump, legal trouble may be campaign treasure. After news of his indictment, a $5 million haul in campaign donations and a nearly double-digit bump in most polls. Even Trump himself predicted weeks prior that an indictment would boost his poll numbers. And after Trump announced he'd be indicted, he remained comfortably ahead of Ron DeSantis and all other Republican challengers. Mirroring Trump's situation after FBI agents raided his home in Mar-a-Lago and his impeachment to scandals that didn't shake his standings in the polls. According to a campaign spokesperson, more than 25 percent of the donations came from first-time Trump donors, and the average contribution was about $35. Republican lawmakers like Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina say that the indictment was probably one of the best things to happen to Trump's re-election campaign. The prosecutor in New York has done more to help Donald Trump get elected president than any single person in America today. Niall Stanage, the Hill's White House correspondent, says that right now Trump's indictment is helping him among Republican voters. In the Republican primary, it will help him at least in the short term. And we're already seeing that in a number of polls. Joe Khalil mentioned one poll from Morning Consult. There's another one from Yahoo, YouGov, just out today, showing former President Trump expanding his lead over Ron DeSantis, who's his closest rival. Now, that's a snapshot in time right now. 
where Republican voters are clearly outraged, rightly or wrongly, about these charges being brought. As this train proceeds down the tracks, that could change if there is very compelling evidence against the former president, if he himself brings more chaos into this process, or if a number of other factors could contribute to a fall in his support. Right now, it's helping. Stanage explains that while some in the donor class might prefer Florida Governor Ron DeSantis for 2024, they'll ultimately go with whoever they think will win. And right now, that's Donald Trump. The money tends to follow the person who they expect to win for the most part. So if the former president retains the kinds of leads we're seeing at the moment, double Ron DeSantis' support, for example, I think, honestly, you're going to see donors reconcile themselves to the former president being the Republican nominee, even if he wouldn't be their choice in some idyllic scenario. Now, if it is a really close and competitive race, if Governor DeSantis gets in, as we expect, if they are sort of on even footing, then I think most of the Republican donor class would tend to lean toward DeSantis. The Hill columnist says that a mugshot of the former president would be a fundraising boon for Republicans. Probably because he's already raised considerable amounts of money from this news of this indictment in and of itself. Uh, A mugshot, if it comes out, will ricochet around the world, not just the nation, instantly, because it is such a dramatic moment, such a historic moment. Now, we have to see how much substance is behind these charges. This is, or could be, a rather uh, thin reed on which to hang such a heavy historical moment as charging a former president of the United States. But we'll see, and your previous guest made the, the important point that we'll have to see what the indictment actually contains. And Stanage goes on to suggest that he doesn't expect the White House to weigh in on the Trump indictment as they don't see much political payoff in it. I think he'll probably be reluctant to weigh in on it even on Tuesday. There is no real political dividend for President Biden to get very involved in this. I think you're seeing not just from the president, but from Democrats generally, a uh, statement or statements to suggest that the process should be let play out. They don't want to give Republicans more ammunition for Republicans to accuse the Democrats of politicizing the justice system. So in that respect, I think even on Tuesday, President Biden's not going to say anything very direct or very uh, controversial about this case. Alvin Bragg's case against Donald Trump centers on an alleged hush money payment that his longtime fixer Michael Cohen made to an adult movie star, Stormy Daniels, ahead of the 2016 election in an attempt to keep silent an alleged 2006 affair with Donald Trump. Over the weekend, Saudi Arabia and other OPEC-plus oil producers announced further oil output cuts of around 1.16 million barrels per day. It was a surprise move that analysts said would cause an immediate rise in prices. Bloomberg's Sue Keenan says that the move from OPEC surprised everyone because up until Sunday they were being told 
something different. OPEC Plus had pledged repeatedly to hold output steady, and as recently as Friday, delegates had said, indicated privately that, yeah, there would be no change. And so this announcement on Sunday, unprecedented in that it comes before tomorrow's monitoring committee meeting, uh, really knocked a lot of people back on their feet. It's a one million barrel a day production cut to take effect in May. The Saudis led the cartel with their own five 500,000 barrel a day supply reduction, but members including Iraq, Kuwait, and the United Arab Emirates, and also Russia, are contributing to it. Keenan explains that many experts believe that OPEC nations want to ratchet up prices even further. The upward trend this now puts oil in. In the wake of all the bank turmoil, we saw oil prices swoon to a 15-month low. Of course, as stocks in the market has come back from the uh, the bank concerns, we've seen oil on the rebound. But nevertheless, this is really a shot in the arm uh, to price action. And there are analysts that say uh, OPEC Plus clearly wants a higher oil price. Uh, one veteran analyst said the group is following through on being proactive and ahead of the curve and it's trying to rip oil prices from the grip of macro sentiment, which is about demand uh, being flat, and that's maybe going to keep prices uh, lower. Well, they just uh, pushed everything into high gear here. The political ramifications of this cannot be understated for the White House, who, according to Keenan, definitely feel the added strain to their relationship with Saudi Arabia. The White House uh, out, as uh, Sherry mentioned, saying that this was ill-advised. Of course, the thinking on many analysts and market watchers is that tensions between the Saudis and the Biden administration, which were already uh, very uneasy, are really probably going to ratchet up higher here. Uh, the White House believing this is ill-advised, given the uncertainty of the market. There's real concern by the Biden administration on inflation, and this feeds right into that. The voluntary cuts start from May and last until the end of the year. And finally, do you have a stray dog down there? Um, it's a lot worse than a stray dog. Two stray dogs? It's a black hole. That was going to be my next guess. Are you sure your next guess wasn't three stray dogs? Maybe. According to the Royal Astronomical Society... A supermassive black hole is currently facing our solar system. This black hole is about 30 billion times the mass of the sun. But let's start with the basics. What is a black hole? It's a region in space with an immensely strong gravitational pull. Think of it as a Dementor, you know, the fictional character from Harry Potter. The way a Dementor sucks in all of your joy, a black hole swallows everything. And we mean everything. Anything that's too close or too slow or too small to fight the gravitational force. And it's so huge, it can swallow entire planets and stars. It can rip them apart. Not even light can escape it. And nothing is faster than light. So you can imagine, with every bit of mass, a black hole grows. Scientists say that the galaxy, which is about 657 million light years away, realized that the space phenomena had rotated 90 degrees and is now pointing its center directly at Earth. Research now suggests that the galaxy stretches nearly 4 million light years across nearly 40 times the size 
of the Milky Way. The black hole that has now been discovered is being hailed as an ultra-massive one. What are these ultra-massive black holes? As the name suggests, they're the most massive objects in the universe, with between 10 to 40 billion times the mass of the Sun. It's believed that they can be found at the center of all large galaxies, like the Milky Way. No one's sure how they were formed. Some believe it came from a merger between massive galaxies. This would have happened billions of years ago. And these ultra-massive black holes are extremely rare, making this discovery very exciting. It's unclear whether the direction of the black hole will have any impact on our galaxy. Come on, you can't look at that infinitely dense little guy and not want to feed it something. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott.